This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good morning, Equalizer Extra subscribers. It's time for another episode of the Equalizer Podcast. Episode 48 of the Equalizer podcast. We're closing in on March. We're closing in on the She Believes Cup, the beginning of NWSL preseason. My name is Dan Lawletta. Chelsea and Claire will join me momentarily. But before we get going with this edition of the podcast, I did want to remind you that you can get exclusive content, first access to events and discounts from partners by signing up for the Equalizer Extra from in-depth interviews and deep-dive features to experiences like joining us on a Women's World Cup tour. Membership to the Equalizer Extra gives you access to the best women's soccer coverage in the United States. Head to equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe to sign up. That's equalizer.com slash subscribe. Enter promo code LISTEN. At checkout, that's listen at checkout for 25% off your first year of annual membership. And uh, Chelsea, Claire, um, I think we're still kind of in shock from the fallout of the A&E news that came on Wednesday. And we did a little quick pod with Chelsea and I. But Claire, since you didn't get a chance to... Get your opinion out there. Uh, let's hear it, and we'll see if Chelsea's and I mine have changed in <laughs> three days. Uh, well, I mean, it's it certainly seemed like bad news the the day that it dropped. Um, bad news. Amanda Duffy's at it to win win. Come yeah, on, Claire. <laughs> right, I know, I know. But I, it, the one thing I would say, and maybe this is definitely the opinion of someone a couple days later, and not the you know the night of, but. Um, it at least seemed like the messaging around it from the league was unified. The Players Association had a statement ready to go, which meant that they knew about it. Um, it's it's difficult at this moment to call it, you know, proactivity from uh, from the league. But um, I, I, you know, I think we we can all agree that the the A and E deal, the lifetime slot, wasn't working as well as both parties had hoped. I think A&E selling the 25% partnership into the league back to the ownership groups is significant. Um, the question now is just what can they do with it and how can they salvage this year? That's maybe my biggest concern. Is I, I actually do maybe agree that long-term um, having more ownership over the league itself and not having a partnership with a, t- you know, with a TV provider which has that much stake in the league is good. Um, but I'm concerned about this year. I mean, obviously, I know there's various, you know, levels of uh, believing in the World Cup bump, but we can all agree that having no NWSL regular season games on TV during a World Cup year is, uh, it's it's not not what we were hoping for. My comeback to you, though, on that, and full disclosure, I didn't even know you, I don't think, when this deal started, so I don't know what your personal opinion was, but at the time, it was heralded as this amazing deal that A&E wanted to have an ownership stake and there was going to be appointment television and the games would be on every week. So why now is the spin that it's better to not be in bed with your TV partner and that it's better to be free of that Saturday time slot? Well, I, uh, I think that when the deal was first announced, I, I understood why they said that, but, um, Maybe more my argument would be maybe that makes more sense if it works. But if it's clearly not working, there have been many uh, 
divisions of that, that kind of branding that have been much messier than this was. So I guess maybe I'm just happy that that isn't the case. Um, where Annie, it, you know, timing's not great, but I'm glad that Annie is stepping out completely. I'm happy that they are not trying to hold on to whatever percentage to keep getting revenue back, even though they are no longer, you know, a, a partnership when it comes to the broadcast. And Chelsea, I'll get you in because I, uh, I wasn't on last week and, Shortly before we recorded, I gave a listen to you guys last week. Great conversation, by the way. But one of the listener questions was, what are you most looking forward to about the season? And Chelsea, you said, looking forward to the soccer. And I'm really looking forward to hearing Jen and Allie do NWSL games. And I was ah, I guess we're not getting that. At least in the short term, we're not getting that. Yeah, I feel like I should take some responsibility for this because you know how I've had a history of like kind of putting things out there and Jill Ellis turns around and laughs at me like right after. So I feel like this universe was just like, you know what, let's just go bigger in 2019. So my apologies to everyone. I probably doomed it. Yeah, I mean, my biggest concerns still are the timing. Uh, it does sound like this fell apart pretty quickly. You know, I'm glad that A&E is not here on lame duck status i'm just concerned about why they wanted out before the world cup and i still look back at 2015 and i can remember there was a conference call with jeff plush where there was a reporter going at it with jeff plush then the commissioner of the league on a conference call about why haven't you gotten sponsors why hasn't there been anything to piggyback off of the excitement of 2015 i don't think there's any way this world cup compares to 2015 in terms of the excitement in this country about women's soccer. So I wonder if they, if the owners really can take advantage of whatever is about to unfold in France this summer. Right. It definitely puts the impetus, but I, and what I'm about to say, I think has been true for longer maybe than people have noticed, but it's just now it puts the responsibility on the shoulders, I think, on the individual clubs and the individual owners, and then maybe what the ownership group can do in cross-communication with one another. But I think if we're talking about opportunity, yes, there's good opportunity for league awareness, even just when it comes to having some more mainstream media exposure, hopefully, um, and, and having, you know, like I said, it'd be really great if they found a way by the time we get to the end of the World Cup to make at least a couple games available, maybe on a major sports network. Um, but I think that it is going to be the individual owners and the clubs themselves that are going to have to figure out how to use that uh, heightened awareness in their own local market. I still think if you do come out of the World Cup and you get a couple of games on TV, and I would never say that that shouldn't be the case, I think it's going to be glaringly noticeable, more so than even it was before the Lifetime Games. If it's one of those, hey, welcome to such and such a stadium, and these are the two teams, and you have broadcasters that sort of know the game but aren't haven't been invested in the league the entire time and the production value is lower, I think fans will notice the difference because the one good thing that came out of this was the production value. We have never for a club soccer, women's club soccer in this country. And I think you can maybe make a case for any standalone women's sports coverage in this country outside the Women's World Cup the last couple times. We've never seen it blown out like they did it. And that is something that I, that I hope that they can duplicate at some point. Well, yeah, and that's also what you lose when you pull, you're right, when you pull, even when we were talking, you know, talk about, you know, Jen and Allie, where having them not in every week, doing their homework, building the narrative of the season, um, that's a huge loss. I mean, I would also say, I, I, I don't remember if you guys talked about this midweek, but um, another big part of this is that NWSL media arm in New York, um, that that did really important things uh, outside of even the TV broadcast, and that was all funded by A&E, where they revamped the website, they got stats on the website, um, their social media game stepped up, all of that, you know, and, and when you talk about awareness, I think that all of those things are incredibly important, too, on the online sphere. And, you know, Amanda Duffy kind of half answered a question about what's going to happen to them. That New York office, I believe, is going to close and they're going to try to bring people in-house possibly. But that's another thing that if the NWSL loses that portion of what they're doing and that takes a step backward, that's another thing that fans are absolutely going to notice. Yeah, they're going to stay open and be in the A&E offices for this season. 
but then it looks like they'll fold into the league office in Chicago starting in 2019. And that's always kind of tenuous because if they're staying in a, you know, with a and E, then that means things will change going forward. I, I kind of think though here, Chelsea, that the owners maybe are taking on something because they see opportunity, but I still question whether or not they see how to get from today to that opportunity because there's a lot that has to happen in order to take advantage of that opportunity. And Chelsea has left the building and Frambi Chelsea had the sneeze. No, Chelsea's again. here. I, I, just, like I mean, I kind week. of, you know, said everything I thought that, that last week, yeah. And, you know, my final thing was that I, it kind of had to wait and see how everything unfolded. And so I'm still in that position of, of waiting to see. Um, I do, I do want to say that Claire said something about the, I do. I kind of like the fact that the league, in a way, I kind of like the fact that the league is trying to spin this as a positive thing and being a little bit proactive on, you know, bringing in the players associations, things like that, because a big portion of what the league lacks is any sense of public relations awareness at all. So for me, this is like a little glimmer of, hey, they knew this was going to go down badly. So they tried to prepare themselves. They got the players involved. I may not agree that it's a pot with the spin they're putting on it, but I am glad that they're at least aware that there's such a thing as spin out there. Cause I wasn't <laughs> so sure about that before. Yeah. And also just, I think it's, this is kind of sad that I'm saying this, but um, I think it's a big step forward that they communicated with the players before going public with it. Yeah, for sure. That's not something they've done in the past. Yeah. And the players to their credit put out their statement. Now, I don't know that it really matters that they, put out a statement in support. I don't really know what else they were supposed to say right. at this point, because even if they didn't agree, there's really it wasn't anything they could do about it. So, so I, I, I want to go back I, real quick. Oh, go ahead, Chelsea. Go, you finish your thought. Just real quick, I was going to say I agree that there's, there's really nothing they could have done about it, but I think three years ago they would have found out this information on Twitter just like we did. Oh, three months ago they might have found that. What was yeah, the thing so, last year? There is a lot of things. There are a lot of things. More specific, Dan. Yeah. Uh, they released the, um, when the league came out with like the format for 2019, I think, and the Players Association had didn't know about it. They found out from media or on Twitter. Something like, like that. Like yeah, it was going to so, be 24 games or whatever. Something like that. Something regarding the schedule, I, I do agree. And I think this, you know, goes to back to what, you know, Avery Bush had told us in the podcast we did with her back at the draft that you know now that the players association is recognized by the league they have that that voice and that they they're able to find these things out beforehand so i think this is at least one example that's come out of something that has changed for the positive i as far as um the positive spin i agree that they had a message and they stayed on message but it was like a wednesday message and now they've gone dark again why not take four or five outlets and have Amanda Duffy do a Q&A. Right. Well, it Forget, you know what? It doesn't have to be us. Forget Equalizer. Right. But get information out there. Give me a strategy. Because I didn't. I heard win-win, but I didn't hear anything that made me think, oh, yeah, there's actually a vision out there. I can't wait to see how this unfolds. Well, I thought it was interesting, actually, that um, Yael Averbush on her personal page, I think she made a couple of posts, her personal Twitter, about the idea of local support. And if you're frustrated... Um, with what you're seeing from the league as a whole, the best thing you can do is support in your local market. Or if you're not in the local market, pick a team and support them um, materially. And I guess, I mean, obviously that wasn't through the Players Association, but she is their figurehead. And um, I thought that that was an interesting angle to take. But I, again, you're right. I wish it, I wish those kinds of ideas were presented in a more official capacity so that they could that they could be you know broadcast out in a different way as opposed to it just being you know personal statements on Twitter. But I want to go back to Dan. Remember when we had this conversation when we were talking about um, the WNBA renegotiation of their CBA, and we were talking about how it's all it all comes down to TV, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no TV deal in place for 2019. Nope. Unlikely there's going to be one formalized until 2020. Um, is this, when it comes to the long-term health of when it comes to the players association and the possibility of a CBA there, and then also the ability for the league to pivot that into a better TV deal, um, you know, whether that's monetarily or just getting themselves on a larger sports network, 
is some of the, uh, what's the, the instability, is that good? Or do you think, is there, is there more opportunity there for there to be negotiations? Or do you think that this has kind of thrown everything out of whack? Well, one thing is that anybody that comes in this year can't grab digital rights to anything but the national TV games because Verizon has those. Mm -hmm. So that's probably a deterrent in the short term, right, for for somebody to come in. Nobody can come in and say, we want to be your digital partner. Right. Because that's already a done deal. I mean, you know what? I I don't know. It's a good question. But I, I just I haven't seen enough momentum at any point to think that there's anything firmly stable ahead like when amanda duffy said and i think i said this wednesday night when amanda duffy said we're looking at our next deal to be a longer term thing well this was your longer term thing right one of the big positives was hey we've got two straight off seasons where we don't have to go in saying well what channel is uh nwsl going to be on next year and it didn't make it through the deal two-thirds of the way in deal's over so now we're seven weeks or something away from the season we had nothing yeah that's and that's to me the most concerning thing is um i kind of understand the spin of why cutting it off now is good for the league um but i think there's no good way to put cutting out of a three-year deal a year early see i i think the league could have spun it better if they had said we just we had discussions with a&E, and we realized that there was not going to be a future in our partnership beyond 2019. With that in mind, all sides decided that it was in the best interest of our league and our clubs to pull out of the deal now, take a short-term hit, and allow ourselves to leverage 2019 and the Women's World Cup to move forward. And I actually think that that might be really close to what happened behind closed doors. Absolutely. Um, so they should, yeah, and I think you're right. That would have been the messaging to start with right away. All right. Well, what we did get the day after that was a schedule. We uh, talked a little longer on this A&E fallout than we thought, so we'll come back from the break. We'll talk NWSL schedule, and she believes, and also Algarve and Cyprus and all that, and also the tournament over in Australia are getting underway in just a couple of days. This is episode 48 of the Equalizer podcast. Reminder to please rate and review this podcast if you love it and you want more people to discover good women's soccer content. It's a huge help to have your positive reviews about what we are doing. Rating and reviewing the podcast will help make it easier for others to discover it on your favorite listening platform. So if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review the Equalizer podcast. And this is episode 48 of that Equalizer podcast. Dan, Chelsea, And Claire, a couple of news and notes. Australia did hire Ante Milicic as their, I believe they officially made it an interim head coach through the World Cup. It is not the hire any of us were expecting. Well, maybe we should have been expecting it, but he is uh, someone from inside their program. So it's essentially U.S. soccer making a U.S. soccer hire and not somebody that has a lot of experience in the women's game to get them uh, through the World Cup, and the prep really begins for them because they've got their uh, tournament at home starting this week. Same with the She Believes Cup, which starts Wednesday in Philadelphia. And also Sarah Killian re-signed with Sky Blue this week, which is not a real significant deal other than the fact that her comments were quite gushy about Sky Blue and where the team was going and how proud she is to be uh, wearing the same jersey as the player next to her. And she, you know, it's been a challenging few years, and she's really excited about where Sky Blue's going. So I feel like we take every opportunity to comment on bad Sky Blue news. And I guess in some way that's good Sky Blue news. And I actually think if you look at that roster, I think if Sarah Killian has a big year, that team can be decent, if not deep. But uh, we have got plenty of time to get to that. But what we do know is when and where they'll be playing their games, Chelsea and Claire, the schedule is out. Now, I like when the schedule comes out. It's fun to see the opening games and the closing games and some other big weeks. And it kind of helps me plan out the rest of my year. But it's also 
somewhat anticlimactic, right? I mean, we knew that the schedule, like, they were gonna, it was going to be there, and now you just kind of know who plays who when. But I don't like, you know, I don't really pick apart schedules and and things like that. So, Chelsea, what what were your first thoughts when you saw it? Um, I mean, I'm pretty excited to see we're kicking off with what Claire's so aptly named the Drainage Derby. Uh, Could have been a lifetime game, though. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the one that you'd put on TV, I think. Our IP lifetime. Yeah. Um, So I was kind of glad to see that. It's always good to to kick off with a strong match. And they've I think they've done a pretty good job the last couple of years of kind of going back to whatever, you know, some previous playoff teams or even the championship and kind of doing those, um, which is, is fun. Um, the other than that, the only thing that, that kind of stood out at me was just by circumstances that uh, Portland has, you know, obviously their their home games are, are pretty backloaded because of the construction at Providence Park. I don't think they play their home opener until June 3rd or somewhere around there. Um, so it's going to be, you know, it could be a rough start to the season for them. But I think that ultimately that will benefit them in the long run. And that's just, again, it, it just is what it is. There's no way around it. Uh, just, just pure circumstance. Other than that, it, it we knew the like the format of the schedule more or less, honestly, as far as how many games there were going to be and how many times they were going to play each other. So we knew that the, they were going to have, you know, when the breaks were going to be. So other than that, there was nothing that really jumped out at me. I mean, I the thing, a couple of things for me at least is, um, you know, I don't know if this is related to the TV deal falling through or if this was already in the works before that happened, but um, more teams are going to get to play evening games on the weekends, which I think is really, that's a positive when it comes to getting people um, out to games. I think that that was one of the issues with the lifetime deal was, you know, at 2.30, 3.30, you know, Pacific time, what was it, 12.30 start. Um, that's tough for people on a Saturday. Um, especially if we're talking, you know, hot summer weather. So I think that that is a big positive. I think that um, being able to push those later in the day is really good. And uh, in yeah, it, it's imbalanced. I, I think some teams were able to get a more balanced schedule than last year. I think some teams, obviously, like like Portland, have weird ones. Um, you know, some basic scheduling stuff. Even just talk about weird ones. Portland, I think the um, the first. Cascadia rivalry game is during the World Cup, and I believe as is the first uh, 2018 final rematch. So, yeah, I know the Cascadia game is July 5th, so okay. the semi at the uh, final is two days later. Right. Um, which, you know, obviously we don't know what teams are going to be going that far, but um, one has to imagine that uh, the U.S. will be in the conversation for the World Cup semifinal. And, um, yeah, so it seems like the those kinds of games were not given, which is so, this is actually kind of funny to me because I remember obviously a couple years ago they were trying to make every other match some sort of regional rivalry match, but I don't think there's any precedent laid on any of those particular, you know, primetime games other than just, I think, managing travel and uh, trying to make it work in kind of a choppy, choppy year. A few other things that stood out to me were Easter night opener for the rain at their new place is not ideal um, the first game after the World Cup final is Royals at Sky Blue on a Friday night. And, you know, and that's sink or swim time, unless there's already some kind of TV deal in place. And even beyond that, World Cup is over at that point. And, and there's nothing that you could do to help this. Um, I may have preferred kind of uh, unofficially handicapping the playoff race and trying to make this a team less likely to be in the playoffs, but Chicago off on that last weekend and the week prior to that is a FIFA break. So they could possibly be going into the playoffs on like 21, 22 days of rest. Mm -hmm. Good problem to have if you're in the playoffs, right? I'd rather be in the playoffs on too much rest than not in the playoffs. Uh, And again, I don't know really there's much they could have done about that. Well, I think for Chicago, I know probably a priority for them was to not for the last two years, they've had these long road trips at the end of the season. So I'm sure for them, one of the highest priorities was to get something that they considered to be at least a little bit more normal. Um, yeah, I, it's Chicago. Well, I mean, I, I've looked at it that one a little bit more closely. Chicago's schedule is really interesting. It's incredibly front loaded when it comes to difficult teams. And then they're playing a lot of teams that didn't make the playoffs last year in the back end of their season. So they could have some, they could have some ups and downs. I don't know why the red stars keep ending up with these 20 day breaks. They had one last year too. 
Um, but yeah, that's, it'll be really interesting to see if they need help going into that last week or if they've got everything locked up already. I'm sure they'll want to have it locked up. Yeah, I mean, they could be out too, so right. you never know. But as it stands now, I think most people expect them to be in the mix, if not in the playoffs and, and firmly in the playoffs by that time. And, you know, you can't have everything. So the Cascadia thing in July during the World Cup is not perfect. Then again, you got a Wednesday, August 7th, I think. They meet in in uh, Tacoma. Almost did it. Not yet. Uh, but they meet in Tacoma. And uh, you know what? A Wednesday night match between those teams, month after the World Cup, that could be an attendance bump because Portland travels as well as anyone. And if you're going to be able to sell tickets to one game, why not have it be on a Wednesday night? Yeah, absolutely. There's also... So, a ton of Friday games. Not a ton, but a decent amount of Friday games. And I wonder, although I do think the schedule was mostly in place before the A&E deal fell apart, but that Friday night game last year, I really enjoyed. And I think Friday night NWSL maybe could be the niche spot that works for television. Because there's less going on? There's less going on. MLS obviously has Saturday for soccer. I just think it's a night that there's not a lot of soccer. Mm -hmm. It's something they could sell. You know, there's not the argument about youth tournaments. I know every market is different in terms of how difficult it is to get during rush hour from wherever most people work to the stadium that teams play in. I just think that, it, you know, you got to try something. True. Yeah. So I don't know why, uh, why Friday should be. And, you know, I also like that, you know, the courage red stars, I thought was the match people wanted to see. And then Sky Blue and the Spirit. And soccer has draws, so it's not like when the NFL does this. Somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. But at least you know that Sky Blue and the Spirit won't both be 0-1. And the Courage <laughs> and Red Stars won't both be 1-0. You know, early starts, especially with the World Cup, you know, that could that could really get teams behind the eight ball quickly because a lot of, you know, the depth will be challenged early. Yeah, absolutely. Chelsea, any other scheduling thoughts? I'm just ready for it to get here, whichever game it is. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm glad we have one. Yeah, definitely good to know. And and believe it or not, for a rare time, the Sky Blue schedule actually worked out kind of the way I wanted it. Usually I look at all the dates that I don't want there to be games, and there's a Sky Blue game on every single one of them for a change this year, even though I'm probably about as unpopular there as I've ever been. But uh, for a change, I actually like when those games are. Um, talking schedules, though, we got She Believes begins on Wednesday in Philadelphia. There was some snow in the forecast, but it seems to be clearing up now. And then it will move on to Nashville and Tampa Bay. Um, we've talked about this a lot in the past couple weeks, but as it's now upon us, what do we think? Um, what do we think Jill Ellis wants to accomplish here in these three games? Chelsea. Um, I think she's given some, I think she's looking at where players stand as far as depth goes. I think she's probably got her starting 11 mapped out and, and pretty much has her roster set. I think she's looking, you know, like, okay, Lindsay Horan is out. So who's, who's her backup? Who's that, that go to, um, she's, she's chock full of, you know, what typically are, are sixes. So I think she's obviously still questioning who, who takes that spot behind, Julie Ertz. Those, so those are, I think that's kind of where she is, like particularly in the midfield. And of course the, the revolving doors at outside back, she's looking at who are her substitutes. Uh, Cause I, I think she, she's got her, her starting 11 mapped out for, for, you know, the big games. And she kind of wants to see if somebody gets injured or if somebody gets <laughs> the old yellow card suspension that worked out so well last time, yeah. who she's going to go to. So Claire, do you think we'll get like a, first choice 11 and then a second choice 11 and then a hybrid 11 or will she, you know, is this where she tests out the group stage at the world cup and really tries to go as aggressively as she possibly can? Well, I think it's, I think you also have to look at maybe my biggest takeaway from it is um, obviously this isn't the, she believes that we've had for the last couple of years. Uh, it's the U S England, Brazil, and Japan. It's kind of a tournament of nations. She believes hybrid, um, and I think it's fair to say that two of these teams are significantly um, high, more likely to go deep into the World Cup than other two. So I think probably a couple of things. I actually really do think that Jill Ellis is going to want to win all of these games. 
Um, I think they need to start if they're going to, if they're, you know, if the narrative is the loss against France doesn't matter, we're going to get better. We're going to start peaking at the right time. They got to start riding that ship the closer they get to the world cup. And I think that there is more pressure on home soil to win games. Um, so I think you're not going to see a ton of rotation or if you do, it might be against a team like Brazil that I think the U S is confident that they can handle with, you know, whatever configuration they have. Um, but no, I think, if if the if the line out of the France game was we're a, we you know we didn't want to lose but you know we'll learn from this I think it's going to take a sharper edge going into she believes I think they're going to want to win. Deep down though, do you think I, Jill? Go ahead, Chelsea. I was going to say I I agree with everything that Claire said, but I, I want to point out that it just kind of baffles me that the the key to winning a World Cup is to just absolutely run your players into the ground beforehand. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Um, you think deep down she does want to lose a game? Not that she goes into any game saying we're going to lose this game, but you know, there's the famous story when the Dream Team at the '92 Olympics had their first scrimmage against a bunch of college kids that they and they lost the game behind closed doors. And there was this big theory that Chuck Daly threw the game because he wanted to get the players on edge. Well, I, th- I think there's a big want- difference. I think that though. game was France. Well, yeah, I was going to say there's a big difference between losing one game to losing two or three against the opponents that are, you know, you're most likely to see in the knockout games. Um, Because what's the balance between, you know, firing your team up and then really having them doubt whether or not they can do this? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't think she goes in any game saying we'll lose this game, but I don't know that you want to go into the World Cup on a two-year two year unbeaten streak either. I think U.S. I, soccer really doesn't like losing games in the States. Oh, they do not. Yeah, and I think that that is yeah, a big and, part of it. And I think that they, that, you know, that the France games became that. When they lost, it was like, okay, well, losing sucks, but silver lining is we've kind of, we got that out of our system, so they're... I think that was, I think she probably was would never admit it, but kind of was like a little bit was like okay, that's that's actually not a bad thing that we lost. Um, it kind of takes some of that pressure off because you. I think I've made this comparison before, but you go back to last season and you look at how North Carolina played after losing to Utah, and it was like they got even better and more consistent after that. I was like it, it it took some of that pressure off of them to have that undefeated season, and then they went on and just kind of blew the playoffs out of the water. Um, other teams, we got Algarve and Cypress Cup also coming up this week. And what is this Australian tournament called? The Nations Cup? Cup of Nations. Cup of Nations. Um, anybody stand out to me? I, I, first of all, I hate the Algarve format now where it's groups of three instead of groups of four. I get why they're doing it because it's two games and then a placement match. I don't like it, but I think the Canada group against Iceland and Scotland, I think that's a really good group for them to kind of test against some different kinds of teams. Also Spain and the Netherlands will play at Algarve. So those are matches that I'm looking at. Yeah. I think that the Canada could do really well, but also would keep an eye on, on like Denmark down there in group C Um, Norway and China, you know, they're, they're not as good as they used to be, but I think they can provide a challenge. I think Denmark needs to prove some, some consistency to kind of be, to move into kind of a higher echelon of, of or a higher tier of women's soccer where they've kind of hovered on the border for a while. Claire, anything? No, I, uh, I think everything you guys said makes sense. Um, it, it's still weird again, because I think some of these nations are going to be more in form than others. Um, Canada, you know, similar to the U S is coming off a long off season. Uh, I, I never know exactly how much weight to put in these these early year tournaments, but um, yeah, interesting matchups. And I think if all these games were on television from all four tournaments, like we all hope it would be, the must see team would be Australia. Mm-hmm. Right? How do they respond oh, yeah. to everything that's going on? And they've got decent opponents. They should win that tournament, but who knows? We will they take... should win it. And they should win it good, oh, like absolutely. like easily. Yeah. But they have. Did they play already this year? No, right? Mm-mm. No. So they haven't they... played in a while. So they've got that built-in excuse. But you know their players should be informed. They their league season just ended, so no excuses. We will uh, answer your questions in the final segment of the Equalizer podcast. 
final segment of the Equalizer podcast where we take your questions and comments. The hashtag is EQZPod, E-Q-Z-P-O-D. If you'd like to send them in, you don't have to wait for our prompt. Send them in anytime. Dan Law Letter with Chelsea Bush and Claire Watkins and Farhan Ahmad sent in. Uh, we This is uh, backdated to Wednesday when we sent out the call for the A&E stuff. Got some non-A&E stuff, so... Farhan asks, as an England fan, which European country out of England, France, and Germany you think will pose the greatest threat to the U.S. at the World Cup? I think head-to-head, France is the best matchup. I think England out of those three is most likely to go farthest. Chelsea? Um, that's a tough one. Claire. There's, there's a, I mean, there's a few. Like, there's, I don't, I just, I can't get like a really good feel at this, this World Cup of like who is really a clear favorite. Cause I think, I feel like, and we've discussed this before, but every team has like a pro and a con. Like, this team should do really well because of this, but there's also this. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to go get behind France. I think they've, if it's now or never for them, in my opinion, like this. They're more poised than ever to do to do well. Yeah, I think um, I think it's difficult to say. I think I do think you're right in that. Um, while the group stages and maybe the early knockouts seem kind of written in stone at this point, I think there are a lot of potential pitfalls for for every team. But I do agree with Dan. I think well, and we'll, and we'll see obviously a lot of England in the next couple of weeks, but. Um, they seem they're a little bit more well-rounded. Their uh, their issues maybe a little bit less a uh, little less noticeable. So so we'll see. But this, I think with England, it'll just be a matter of of what can kind of put them over the top. One more from Farhan. Which yeah. England? Go ahead. You have more on that? I was just gonna say that I prior to you know the last month or so or however long it's been, I've been riding Australia hard for like years to do well at this tournament. Um, and unfortunately, I think whatever's going on there, I, I don't think it's going to do them any favors at this World Cup. So yeah. I, I'm a little bit disappointed. I have to withdraw that dark horse because I have had them pegged forever. I think I'm with you on both counts. So us both jumping off the bandwagon, probably good news to Australian fans. Uh, one more from <laughs> Farhan. <laughs> which England player do you think would be great in the NWSL? Which England player would you choose to join if you had one dream pick? Uh, Lucy Bronze for me. Oh, that's the easy pick, Dan. That's the easy pick, though. <laughs> hey, She's the best right back in the world. That is the easy pick. Um, you know I mean, a lot of them are here already or have been here. Yeah. Lucy Bronze has played in the U.S. Um, you know who I would pick if I if she were healthy would be Jordan Hobbs. Okay, good one. She did her ACL. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a moot pick or not, but that's my pick. It's a good one. I think it'd be great to get Fran Kirby over here. I think she'd do really well. But this is not even an England player at all, but every time we talk about the UK, I just think about how much how nice it was when Kim Little played in the NWSL. Yeah, good days, good days. Gallum Cardiner asks for early predictions for MVP Shield Championship Golden Boot. We'll do that closer to the season. I think we are all on record as saying that it looks like uh, things are about status quo in terms of whether or not teams uh, change or not. Rainmaster, do you think the schedule is balanced? Is there a team that has it easier early, a team that has it easier late? Claire, you seem to um, think that the Red Stars have it difficult early. Uh, I haven't gone team by team. Chelsea, any anything there? I mean, they're all it's a balanced schedule, so I think you can't ask for much more than that. Yeah, I agree. I think if you go through and you really nitpick team by team, you could find maybe – few trends but overall there, there's going to be good good and bad situations for every team and I, I i color-coded it on my spreadsheet at work because i'm that kind of person and i didn't see any color groupings that seemed like a big gap or a big chunk so you know in the eyes of if microsoft excel it looks pretty balanced to me so color-coded based on what rest or no, no i just like color-coded games. it for each i gave each team a color which okay there were way too many blue teams in this league first of all and I gave them all color, and I, I highlighted who was the home team just to kind of give me an idea, just a, a visual way to look at it. And um, I was bored at work, clearly. And uh, it didn't seem like – like it didn't seem too bad to me, just my, my amateur 
thing. Okay, so just a quick glance sort of thing. That exactly. Blue, that blue like thing, by things. the way, that's across all sports with the blue. Too much blue. Like, why, why don't we have a green team? That is a great question. That's my favorite color. I'm all for green teams. I don't root for Give the Timbers. Green. Give me some but, maroon, even like just a plain old black yeah, and white. Yeah, absolutely. Make, get some uh, nice uh, contrast and colors on the games that won't be on television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Connor Weigert, with so many marquee players missing for long bouts, who do you predict will have a breakout year in 2019 like Crystal Dunn did in 2015? I'll give a two-part answer. Number one, I don't think we're going to see years like that very often. Number two, I think it's Huerta. I think if the Dash make the playoffs, and I heard John talking about them again last week, about how high he is on the Dash, I think if the Dash make the playoffs, I think Huerta has a chance to be the MVP of the league. I mean, she's certainly primed for a Crystal Dunn-like situation, right? Uh, that's The comparison's pretty similar there. Yep. Um, Ironically, at that point in time, Dunn was an outside back, made her name That's in the right. league as a forward. That's true. Kind of a, the um, I actually, I think that uh, Katie Johnson could have a really good year. It's kind of one that pops to mind. I think mm-hmm. Shay Groom could have a really good year. Um, the two no, that popped into my head were Midge Purse and Ashley Hatch. Hatch. Hatch is definitely one that can have a good year, needs to have a good year. I like Hatch. I thought Hatch was sneaky good last year, didn't have any support. Right. Probably one of the, the best players on that roster, but that's not, not a, a high bar there. Um, yeah. We can agree to disagree about Purse. I think she's a bit one-dimensional, and I think she's easy to figure out over time if mm. you're defending her. She would have to improve, but I think that maybe, maybe what I'm saying is I think that um, she – with with the opportunity could actually find opportunity like find a way to get better yeah and don't forget klingenberg is doing some fox work i'm not sure how much or how much it'll keep her away from the team but i would expect klingenberg to miss at least some time Mm -hmm. with uh along with the world cup players which brings us to jay lorch fan as usual couple parts on the question here which three teams have the most depth to cover absences for women's world cup and tournaments. Uh, I, I don't even know if we can answer this till you see the final rosters, because usually, like when the preseason roster comes out, you get a random retirement. I think it's hard to answer that question right now. It's really hard to say, but the answer is also probably North Carolina. Which is crazy, because the they're going to be missing so many people. Yeah, but look what they did last year. Like, they did yeah. never miss a beat. They're missing more people this year, though, That's than they fair. did last year. I, I do. I mostly agree, like 98% agree with Dan. That's hard to say. But if I had to just go on record with a team right now, I'm saying North Carolina. Yeah. Well, you know what? Actually, this this is a tangent. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it has been on my brain this week, which is um, this year is interesting to me in that it if with the possibility, likely or however likely it may be, that there is expansion next year, um, this is probably going to be the last year we see teams with what five internationals on their roster. I just, you know, we've gotten so used to these stacked, stacked teams with uh, their U.S. internationals, um, and and that's not, you know, that's going to spread out again, hopefully. Um, so this 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 issue with these that these teams have where they're losing, you know, however many players, uh, this might be the last year um, for a while where that, that happens. I'm looking at You know, the... and... Go Keep going. I was going to say that we all, you know, that made me think this this question about depth is that we missed the obvious answer. Who's going to have a breakout season is Heather O'Reilly, who's mm. actually going to get some <laughs> decent playing time this year. Right. Clearly, that's the answer. <laughs> Could be. Never know. Um, I'm looking at the Dash and Pride to add a couple of pieces and maybe be deeper than people think between now and the beginning of the season. Second one from Jay Lorge fan, which of the teams from last season still needs a major trade or player, and who might that be? And then parentheses exclude Spirit and Sky Blue since they seem to be still forming. Uh, I don't know if I have an answer to this one either. Um, I mean, Orlando, I guess, because I think talent-wise, they're better than they their record, and Marta will be back despite her teasing us last week with some thoughts maybe she would be retiring or not going to the World Cup, but Marta's going to be back. I guess Orlando... 
I think the answer is every team because nobody did enough this offseason. Well, you can make an argument that um, Bouquet will put Utah into the playoffs. Uh, I could. don't know if I'd make that argument. Yeah. Okay, well, I, you could definitely. Can. I said you can. I I you had say, to. You could say that as a sentence. Absolutely. Um, uh, okay. I don't know. I <laughs> this is that's a hard that's a hard question too because you know what actually that's a hard question because of exactly what Dan said because it's difficult to say at this moment. We've seen teams over and underperform every year, um, so it's at this moment I think it's difficult to say on paper what exactly every team needs and who that person should be because. I think we have no idea exactly how these teams are going to show up, you know, come at, you know, when the beginning of the season shows up. So um, I think it's, I think it's difficult to say, I think every team there's North Carolina may be excluded. Every team does have weaknesses still. Um, But that was also true last year. Uh, It was every team was really, you know, the, the top teams were good, but they all had issues. Um, except for one. And, and and so it'll be interesting to see if that remains the case. All right. Three from Valerie Lynn. And then one that I skipped, which I wanted to finish on. How about some predictions for she believes winner top score. I got the U S and I mean, Rubino, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I, I'm comfortable saying that I don't think Japan or Brazil are going to, you know, cause a ton of trouble for England and the U S I think is probably going to be the U S um, but we'll see. I think England's England's primed to to do some upsets. Mm. Beat the U.S. for England, or draw and win on goal difference, or something. Um, probably draw. I, they've they. I mean, they they beat England. The England's beaten the U.S. and the Shibalis before. Um, uh, but I think they're gonna they're gonna beat up on Brazil and Japan. Um. Yeah, I think I think England looks pretty good right now. All right, how do you feel about Janine Becky being in England? Not as many minutes, but she's winning trophies. Is she where she needs to be, Chelsea? Janine Becky just scored the winning penalty kick to lead Manchester City to to one of those various trophies they have over there. And I'm my apologies, I can't think of it off the top of my head because they do have quite a lot of trophies. They do. Um, I think she's. I think it's been good for her. I think she's really struggled in the u.s um she unfortunately you know got on some poor teams but just really could never find the form that she demonstrated with canada and i think that that even though she may she's not starting regularly she's she's still getting a lot of minutes and that is the benefit of playing in in leagues in europe is there's so many different competitions that even your regular bench warmers get opportunities to start just because of the the amount of games they play and i think it's done i think it's it's been really good for her claire uh, yeah, I think, she, well, first of all, I would say, I think at this moment, she's getting just as many minutes as maybe her club form has warranted. Um, Janine Becky with Houston was odd to, to me. I, I could, you're right. It never, you know, Houston has never been a great team, but there were just some odd things in the way she would play on that team that didn't make sense considering how dangerous she can be for Canada. And then obviously the sky blue situation was, was, was bad. So she, um, she's really interesting to me. And I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Manchester city situation could be really good for her um, to develop a little bit more because she needs to, she's getting to the age where um, she needs to figure out that balance. Otherwise you have to imagine that her international form might also take a bit of a dip. I was never a particular fan of Becky in the U.S. She would do something spectacular and then ride that momentum for like a month and a half until it happened again. Um, Very good for Canada. So I think it's kind of fine that she's not uh, playing in NWSL anymore. I I personally just don't think it worked. Also, it was the FA WSL Cup, and they beat Arsenal on penalties after a scoreless draw. Uh, last one from Valerie. Who is a rookie that you expect to shine this season, especially if Davidson goes to France? I am completely and wholly unqualified to answer this question, so I'll throw it to Claire first. Well, quite a few of the best players aren't playing in the league, are they? Um, it's true. Uh, I I think Haley Mace is going to have a really good season in Sweden. Um, 
I don't know. I, I guess maybe keep an eye on the Washington spirit rookies. Um, they're also going to have the opportunity to figure some stuff out uh, because they're most of their, you know, you have to think that quite a bit of their midfield is, is going to be out for the world cup. Um, though I would say, I don't know because it sounds like the Washington spirit coaching situation is pretty volatile at the moment. So I, it's hard for me to, you know, put a, one of the difficult things about, predicting rookie seasons is um, a lot of those rookies go to teams where the club support maybe isn't the best. So it's really hard to gauge how they're going to do because you don't know how they're going to make that leap to pros. Maybe my dark horse is um, I could see Emily Ogle having a really interesting season for Portland. Damn it, Claire. <laughs> you took my answer. <laughs> I started talking and then it popped into my head. Yeah, 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 yeah sure. <laughs> but yeah, uh, um, I, I do just want to say it's also hard because very few of these rookies have already have been signed to contracts yet. So we yeah, don't know even if they've been drafted that they're, they're going to end up. Um, I, I think uh, Samantha Staub is the one to keep an eye on mm-hmm. again, Washington. There's, there's some iffiness there, but I think she's going to see a lot of minutes and, and could is someone they desperately need to have a really good year. Um, I think you should keep an eye on Kayla McCoy, although she's mm. kind of, she's gotten an opportunity with Jamaica, which, could take her away for a lot. She could be a big, um, she could be a big piece. Also, you think about that world cup break in Houston, maybe making a surge. She could be a big part of that. Again, right. but if, if she's with Jamaica, oh, yeah, that's true. She won't be out. That out. Yeah, very true. Yeah. And then on, of course, Emily Ogle on the Valerie Lynn question about Janine Becky. She did say PS. I think she is meaning where she needs to be. So I wanted to make sure we got Valerie's point in there. And the final question from Jim Mashick communications from the league went pretty dark from the final until the schedule release with an exception at the draft. And I will intercede and point out that the day before the schedule, they did the A and E announcement. Can you explain the league office staffing level differences between season and off season dedicated to NWSL versus shared with us soccer federation? This could be an entire podcast. There's actually a follow-up tweet that I'm just seeing now. Uh, it feels like there's nobody there, nothing happening aside from the draft and the owners meeting from keeping the league in people's minds during the winter. So putting Sky Blue in a position to demonstrate improvements before the draft, so much opportunity is wasted. Um, again, we, this could be an entire hour-long podcast. I completely agree, Jim. Now, I'll tell you that the uh, head of communications for the league, his last day was the day after the draft. He hasn't been replaced yet. Does that mean things would be different now if you were still there? Probably not too much. It's just a little bit harder to get questions answered. I think this is a major failing of this league through six seasons is their communication staff gives you information on a not a need-to-know basis, but an absolutely need-to-know basis. I don't think they push stories to outlets, including my own. I think it's a big problem. I'm hoping that whoever they hire next has a little bit more vision in this regard. Uh, League versus U.S. soccer, there is dedicated NWSL staff, but I don't think they do much, especially outside the box, without approval from upstairs, upstairs being U.S. soccer. That's what I have to say, and I think Claire might have something to add to it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think... I I forget if I've said this on the podcast before, but I've certainly said it in conversation, which is... um, the, the understaffing of the league office is an ongoing issue that I think is probably more hurtful um, than when people were concerned about the lack of a commissioner. Um, I think that it also speaks to going way back to our TV conversation about you can see opportunity, but can you act on it? And you can't act on things if you don't have dedicated staff and um, dedicated staff to whether it's about keeping the brand active in the off season or, you know, communicating issues, getting in front of maybe, you know, unfortunate narratives like the sky blue thing. Um, Even just communicating with the clubs more frequently with the media, like you said, um, looking for sponsorships and trying to get more involvement with even more mainstream media outlets. And I think that the, and also goes back to the fact that we don't know what's going to happen in 2020 with, um, the people who have been working with A&E to at least keep the online part of the brand alive. And I think that 
there's no, there's no league branding. There's no one running the branding for the league. We don't. And I think you also see something like the communications management manager position as of this moment, just being kind of filtered out into the already understaffed league office. Of course, these things are going to fall through the cracks. You know, one person can't do a million things. And then that does point to what is the communication between us soccer and the NWSL are there actual dollars that U.S. soccer could allot to filling out those staff positions to help the NWSL succeed? And, you know, is there a vision for that? Is there progress being made? Um, is, does the NWSL not want that because they eventually want to divest from U.S. soccer eventually? I think it's a really complicated issue, and I think that it's one that I think if you look at any of, you know, communications PR debacles over the last couple of years – I think you can point to understaffing um, and I don't know how to fix it, but I have an opinion. <laughs> Chelsea, any way you can top that? No, definitely can't top it. <laughs> um, I, I do want to add, I don't think U.S. soccer gives a crap about the NWSL, to be honest. I don't think. Certainly it, haven't seen a ton to suggest otherwise. As long as the league, league exists, I don't really think they care in, in what what function, you know, what form, as long as it, it is a league. Um, beyond that, understaffing, definitely an issue. I, I do think I've said this over and over, and I'm going to keep riding that horse. Um, they, they've got to get someone with some some PR and some marketing sense on their, their staff and make that their job. Uh, because I just don't think there are things that people just don't don't think about doing. But I also want to, want to point out that this is not just the NWSL, you know, in its – its role as as the league in the offseason. I think some of the teams went really dark too. And oh yeah, same deal. So I, I think this is this is a a, prog- a problem, and they probably have the same issue. They're probably, I mean, you know, there's probably some interns out there. You know, that no one told them to tweet something, so they didn't tweet something. And I, I just don't think anyone in this league really value, you know, understands, or very few people understand the value of constantly pushing something out there 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 is something that to be pushed they just have to go and find it and i didn't they say when the a and e agreement was made that they were going to double the size of the league office and then they it never did. happened i don't think it ever got to that point i mean yeah. they added i think doing i mean i think know, they created they've, NBSL media but i don't think it it was doubled they've also posted job listings for the league that i don't think were ever filled that was my next point i think yeah. they actually posted a communications assistant yeah and never filled it. And I've seen the listing for the replacement. It's a little bit of a different role. I've also heard that they were going to have somebody new come in and be like the business end communications person and let the league communications person be more of the soccer communications person. And I don't think that ever happened. But, I mean, imagine, like, if the White House, it's probably a bad place to go, but, like, you can't not have a White House communications officer how does a professional sports league operate with no communications department? It is mind-boggling. Yeah. And yeah, because and, it was, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it, it, it does come back to this idea that, you know, you can have one person effectively do three or four different jobs. You can't. Mm-hmm. That's not the way that it works. Um, and, I, and I no longer think that it's fair for the league to you know cry poverty cry infancy when they're not willing to fill those positions no no question about it and you know i had heard um and the the former uh communications person who you may or may not know his name but he very much doesn't like his name used publicly so i'm trying to respect that but he had called me and told me that he was leaving after the draft and i said to myself well i guess there'll be a replacement person at the draft working with him there wasn't, and now the draft is going on two months ago, and there still isn't anybody else in place. And what that means is there's no actual transition. It's like you're starting fresh, and you're kind of – you're not even getting – I mean, everyone has their own kind of bent on a job, but you're not even getting from the previous person, hey, this is how we did this and this and this and this. So you're going to hire someone now with preseason coming. I assume we'll get the rosters sent to us. But- yeah. Maybe we won't, and there's no, there's just not there's not going to be, um, you know, you know, just a the new person is basically going to be taking this from nothing and and building it. So, 
it's yeah good point though jim thank you for the question that is all the time we have on episode 48 of the equalizer podcast when we come back next weekend we'll be knee deep in the she believes cup and other tournaments from around the world thanks as always for listening and for your questions at hashtag eqz pod make sure to rate us and make sure if you're not a subscriber to go to equalizer.com slash subscribe and do so for chelsea bush and claire watkins i'm dan lawletta for the equalizer podcast Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Equalizer Soccer. We thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.